Hello, I'm Stuart Bose, and this is the Net Hero podcast. And today's topic is weather or climate. Well, it is feeling hot, hot, hot. Now, if you're old as me, the pictures that you're seeing right now of hosepipe bands and uh, parched, dry, cracked earth uh, are not unfamiliar because uh, it happened back in 76. But this time, kind of without ABBA, without the flares. Well, although ABBA are back. Are we having a real fundamental shift or is this just a bit of weather? There's a lot of debate going on in the press, There's a lot of stuff about kind of what we should be doing uh, to, to mitigate this. Could we be facing constant heat waves in the summer? Or is this just a pattern that happens once in a while? What's causing this current one? And, you know, should we be looking at ways to be more resilient? That's something that I've wanted to cover for a while on this podcast and you know it's very well for us to to talk about it as business people or kind of lay people but we need some scientific facts and today I'm going to get lots of science facts for you uh, with Dr Freya Gary who's a climate resilience scientist at the Net Office. Freya thanks very much for joining us on the Net Hero podcast. Hi it's a pleasure to be here. Let's just start with a basic thing okay which is oh there's a dog in the background well he's enjoying himself I hope. <laughs> Yeah, he's just saying hello to start, so just, you know. That's right, he, he can bark throughout, it's good. Uh, <laughs> are we going to the dogs? Are we going to the dogs? There you go. <laughs> is weather, what is weather and what is climate? Can you explain that for us, please? I can, yes. Yeah. So uh, this is something that frequently is a bit confusing because it both relates to what we are familiar with in terms of temperature and rain and those kind of words that we hear every day in our in our weather forecast. But the weather is actually what we're seeing out of the window when we get up on a given day. So it's what we're experiencing at the moment. Um, whereas um, climate is actually the long-term average weather over a period of about, say, 30 years. So if you take the weather every day for the last 30 years and average it, that gives you an estimate of the climate. And um, I think what you've said in the introduction about 1976 is a good example of, of how people uh, sometimes get a bit confused about weather and climate because the weather that we're experiencing be experienced in 1976 in the, yeah. what was a hot dry summer yeah. is a bit like the weather we've been experiencing over yeah. the last month but it's actually very different in terms of the overall climate over the longer periods because 1976 really was like a one-off summer very unusual in the climate then it was very extreme but now we're seeing warm summers like so 1976 happening more often and they're more widespread and that's because the world on average is over 1.1 degrees celsius warmer than before humans started burning lots of coal oil and gas and this warmer world is why we're seeing heat waves happening more often and we have hot summers regularly um, as well as other types of extreme weather so flash flooding and, and drought yeah and in fact all of the UK's 10 warmest years on record have actually occurred since 2002 so in the last uh, 20 years and we know this because we can do what we call um climate attribution analysis can you explain uh, to... what, what what does that mean climate attribution absolutely yeah so 
what we can do is we have our models of the climate system and we run them with no influence of humans. So with no carbon pumped into the atmosphere over the last 150 right. years. So we're right. running our models just like it was 1850 going along, you know, and so run the models for many, many, many years. And you see how often these types of events happen. Uh-huh. And then we do it again, but adding in the um, the influence of the humans burning the coal, oil and gas. And so to take the like the record breaking temperatures of last month when the UK hit 40 degrees, we actually know that that is now 10 times more likely to have hit a 40 degree extreme weather event than it would have been before climate change. So it's now 10 times more likely and how likely it is in the future will will kind of depend on how how much more fossil fuels we emit. During the summer of 1976, the UK was really, really warm and dry, but many other parts of the world were experiencing quite normal temperatures for the time of year. Whereas this July in the heat wave in the UK was happening at the same time as at least four other extreme heat events across the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah. And because that intense heat is remaining, you know, around Europe, it's kind of come back already now into August for another hot spell for the UK. And, and there's lots of severe weather across across Europe as well as lots of other parts of the world, too. Is there a funny thing here which we think local? Right, so we think local, and we're based here, we're based in Europe, we look at that. But I think I read the other day that there's been incredible flooding in, in and torrential rain in Japan, which hasn't happened. So, globally, is there a shift across the planet, or is it just because we're here and it's kind of you know, it's our neighborhood that we're more oh, it's a lot, oh god, it's really hot right now, but actually, in other parts of the world, there is a balance. So, what I'm trying to get to is is it globally warming or is it warming in certain patches and certain areas because again this is a very tricky one to you know uh nail down because in certain parts of the world there are parts that are getting colder but other parts are getting much hotter what what would you say you can conclude and, and it is difficult because then it's a moving system but can we say something about whether this is kind of a shift yeah, we absolutely can. We know that the warming is happening around the planet, but there's always a little bit of variability in that of how different areas are um, responding differently. So some yeah. areas will warm more than others will um, and at a different time. And, and, and warming, when you look over the last sort of 100 years or so, you can see that warming trend going up quite clearly in a big line, just going up this sort of hockey stick of carbon dioxide emissions has forced that temperature up but when you're just talking about every few years there's always some variability in that so some areas might feel a little cooler for a few years and then warmer again um, or you might get different types of weather happening and that's perfectly normal that's how the climate system works yeah but we know that as we go over a sort of longer climate length time scale so 20 or 30 years the direction is sort of uniformly up it's uniformly warming it's the average over a longer period that's what you're saying exactly yeah exactly and it doesn't mean that you're not still going to get some cold weather and some wet weather in fact the trends over the last few years 
years in the UK has been on average uh, getting slightly wetter. Yeah, that's what I read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're still getting drought. And that's because the pattern of how it's changing is, is a bit different. What's happening is that when we're getting these long dry spells, but then when it does rain, because the atmosphere is warmer and it's holding more water, then it pours. Mm. So when you actually average it out over a longer period, it's slightly wetter. But yeah, you've got all weird, these big, getting... long, dry periods. You so you have have having, you're having peaks and troughs rather than kind of, in a way, could we finally say, I mean, I'm being a bit facetious, but we'll be able to predict the, the bloody weather in this country instead of four seasons <laughs> in one day. We can actually, oh, summer will be warm. We can have a barbecue and we can have a pool. Yeah, well, I mean, we we have a very variable climate in the UK. And, yeah. and when you're thinking about predicting over the next two to three months can be very tricky. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, we do a lot of work in that area trying to improve our predictions <laughs> out. But um we are certainly uh, a lot more accurate than we used to be. Uh, yes, the, there'll the, be no the hurricane. Four, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The four-day weather forecast for the Met Office is now actually as accurate as our one-day forecast wow. was thirty years wow. ago. Wow. So there has actually been great leaps in it in predicting the sort of near-term weather yeah. uh, in the UK. Certainly. Um, let's just—I just want to tap into something. So. Um, I many many moons ago, probably sadly when before you were born, Freya, I was uh, I was at the uh, did some filming with what was called the Hadley Centre, which you tell me still exists for climate research at the Met Office, and it was um, the year was the year of uh, an effect called the El Nino, which um, uh, and La Nina. It was all about that, and it was about it was funnily enough, it was a documentary I made for the BBC about climate change way back in '98. But one of the things I did on that was it was looking interestingly at um, they looked at uh, peat bog samples because they are a very good record from what I understand of kind of temperature and, and climate. And they actually said that, funnily enough, parts of the southeast of England were as warm as Italy back in, you know, Roman times, Roman Britain times. So, again, is this. Uh, if you look that far back, you know, in geological time, obviously the world's been a lot hotter, right? And it's been a lot colder. There's the, the snowball earth stuff that people have talked about. But if you just look at kind of the last 10,000 years, is what's happening now really significantly, massively different to things like that? Because obviously the science proved that it, it, it was warmer for quite a few centuries, actually, you know, about 2000 years ago. So what we we do know that it is a lot warmer now um, than uh, it has been for any time in the 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 recent past. Yeah. Um. And and because that is driven by this carbon dioxide changes, which are way 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 above anything we've seen for hundreds of thousands of years. Understood. So of course there have been maybe extreme periods in the intervening time, mm-hmm. but what happens is that over a lot a longer time scale when the earth warms up due to these changes there are all sorts of potential shifts in how the oceans are working and these sort of tipping points can actually shift the the planet into into much warmer or or different sort of configurations of of heat so how how the different patterns have moved around if you see what i mean how the the atmosphere is transferring that heat around the planet and this is the concern that we have is that because the carbon dioxide temperatures are now higher than they've been 
for over 800,000 years yeah. since we've measured them with ice cores, in fact, we measure the carbon dioxide in the bubbles, then this is just something that's kind of off the charts compared to anything yeah. in the paleo record. Yeah. So there's that capacity there for those to make the carbon conclusion. dioxide yeah. Yeah. to drive this much maybe much greater temperature changes over a longer period. And so we know we're already locked into a lot of that because this heat then goes into the oceans, which, and you're talking about El Nino there, which is a, a kind of a change between the atmosphere and ocean that kind of flips around every few years. And that's yeah. just because of how the ocean is storing that heat. So once that heat's going into the ocean, then there's this capacity for longer term changes. And that's why people are so worried about uh, if there are potential shifts in the ocean, what that might mean sort of longer term. We know we're already locked into a lot more sea level rise because there's this kind of lag as the ocean kind of catches up to what's going on on land. Yes. So we know we're already locked into these impacts because of that that carbon dioxide increase is just off the chart. Can we categorically say, and let's clear this up now, the, the Met Office official line is that the temperature is getting warmer because of human-induced emissions. Absolutely, that is absolutely the consensus of science. You've, you've changed your, your sort of tune on that, haven't you? You've actually made that policy. That, can you explain why you're so certain? Because scientists always like to hedge their best, right? Don't they? <laughs> Yeah, you can argue that herding scientific opinion can be a bit <laughs> bit like herding cats. Yes. And that it's certainly something that's been known for a long, long time. I mean, hundreds of years that when you put carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, then it will warm up. Warm up. So people have been warning about yes. this for a long, long time. Um, but for, you know, the whole community of global scientists to get together, mm -hmm. write big reports. So that if you hear about something called the IPCC, these, yeah. these big reports which are written by scientists around the world and agreed by their governments around the world that the science is clear the climate is changing and it is due to right. human activity there is no doubt that human activity has warmed the atmosphere ocean and land so every government around the you know world in the world in the ipc has now agreed that so there's absolutely no doubt at all and and that that means that uh, instead of uh, you know people being a bit more kind of cautious in exactly what they want to say the evidence now is just mounted up so 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 high i mean it's been there for a long time don't get me wrong but now you've got just got evidence coming out of your ears <laughs> what do you say to the people who still deny it because there are there are scientists you know i'm not talking about loons that are out there but there are scientists who are quite respected who still deny it and say it's to do with you know the shift of the, the patterns in the sun and things like that what how would you answer those people who you know whatever we may have personal views of that they, they do they do have some scientific credibility whether that's now shot i don't know but what's your take on the, those sort of people so certainly there are still people out there kind of uh, shouting on on social media there are very very few credible scientists associated with these these views now so you know why the interests of those people are to kind of argue about something which is so clear yeah. is 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 not clear to me uh, and um 
I think that's all I could say on that. <laughs> I think you've said enough on that. Um, I want to explore what we can do, and, and, and I want to explore Heatwave in a second. But just, just before we end this little bit here, um, how, how do you do the science? Can you explain that? Because obviously, right now, we're very good. We've got satellites, and you've got measuring temperatures, set stations all over the place. But when you say that you look at data that goes back 1,000 years, 100 years, you know, 10,000 years, we weren't taking records. So how do you put all the material in to the machine that comes out with the actual predictions? And, and how confident are you that what you're saying is, is correct? Yeah, great question. So we, we use all this data from the past, so what we might call paleoclimate data, to help us learn about the processes of how the Earth works. Is and that from ice cores? Is that where you get that from? So it's a range of things. So over the sort of hundreds of thousands of years, there's ice cores. When you get um, even deeper in time, you're actually looking, you know, at kind of down into the ocean floor to look at fossils of little sea creatures things called like forams or little um, phytoplankton essentially to see what species lived millions of years ago yeah. and that's telling you something so well we call them proxies they're sort of um, indicators of of what the temperature would have been like then and then as you're going kind of closer in time you're looking down in your soils at your peats you mentioned earlier yeah. in the sea people even look at the fossil uh, not fossil sorry shells of, of clams um, and look at the rings of those like tree rings on lands which we also look at to tell us about um, how much those animals grew and and that can kind of indicate to us what the the, the weather was like Maybe. that year. Yeah. So there's lots of these kind of hints from the past uh, in the same way that sort of archaeologists learn about human behaviour from looking at past indicators. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's just the same as that, really. It's like forensic, uh, forensic <laughs> we, climate we, science. We've been quite good in this country because the Victorians and even before them were, were, were quite sort of, studious in terms of keeping data and little records aren't they so there's a lot of good weather records isn't there in the, in the UK yeah fantastic and I mean what there's been some fan really great work by um people at the University of Reading so led by Ed Hawkins together with the Met Office and trying to digitize some of those records because people wrote so much down or yeah. even in ship logs and stuff and then they're all in some archive and they haven't actually been digitized yet so especially over Covid well people had a lot of time on their hands <laughs> <laughs> you can you can actually put them out to the general public you can kind of type them up and then you cross-reference to make sure it's accurate yeah. um, that's a really important way of harnessing some more information that's out there because you know obviously electronic in instruments to to measure the weather uh, like we have today have, have not been around that long you've talked about um you know we, we said what what is a what is kind of temperature change what is a heat wave because again you've changed that i think is that right the the met office has changed the definition of a a heat wave in the UK. Can you explain what it is, first of all? Yeah, absolutely. So um, by a heat wave, in terms of the warnings that we give, 
is when the temperature's exceeding around sort of 26 degrees, I think, or 25 across the UK, and then it goes up to 26, 27, 28 as you get closer to London. And and so that pattern just changed. They all shifted up one uh, last year. And that's uh, actually a a bit more associated with uh, social science in, in that you can't actually have too many warnings because people don't listen to them for a start but if you are warning all the time about hot weather and also the fact that as the climate is getting slightly warmer we are slight will slightly be adjusting to that and and adapting uh, to that new norm so we don't need to have the heat wave warnings quite as often so um what's happened there is that definition slightly shifted um and then and, and that might be so so when the temperature stays that hot for three days, we officially call that a heat wave. Of course, when you're looking at through uh, different climates, you want to compare the same definition. Um, so when people are actually doing climate science, they will be looking at how many times a temperature got higher than, say, 25 or 30 or 35 in one climate period and then in another maybe future climate in the model they might look at the same the same threshold because obviously then then you've got something that's comparable to how it's changing so it's not like three days over 25 is a heat wave that's not it oh no essentially it is yes it's just that as you get closer to london actually uh, it gets a bit it's a bit of a higher number just because um yeah we're a bit warmer yeah yeah, it's it's typically warmer there, so the the definition that doesn't bit, doesn't uh, seem very long. Three days is a heat wave. That's, that's quite. I'd have thought like a week or three weeks would be. So a heat wave is just three days over the kind of average summer temperature. Then it does seem quite short, doesn't it? But the problem <laughs> it's, is, it's a long weekend, Fred. Yeah, in the UK, yeah. unfortunately, we're impacted so quickly by hot weather because we're just not prepared for it. Yeah. So um, we already see transport disruption if, yeah, if yeah. the rails and overheads. But, but then in the autumn, we, we won't be prepared for the rain and then the snow. <laughs> we, well, really funny. The thing, we, we need to be prepared for extreme weather, don't we, if we, we want do, to keep moving. <laughs> um, let's talk before we end about kind of, I think the science is fascinating and that's really the most important thing. But science drives policy and I was there at COP, I don't know if you were, but you know, there was a lot of talk, a lot of stuff and you know, there's a lot of, lot of negative press about energy companies right now. I think some of it is a bit unfounded, some of it's probably justified, but let's face the facts that we're all facing a change now. I personally, have you know it's you know it's quite good I've turned into my dad so it's like you know uh don't have a shower for too long don't run the tap when you're brushing your teeth you know turn the lights off you know all the stuff that we did in in the 70s and 80s is back is back full flow um what can we do uh, a as individuals but b as businesses to uh look at resilience in this world if it is shifting because also the other thing is i don't want to be too negative there are opportunities you know com- companies will make money in, in this stuff either selling cooling stuff or doing different products or there'll be a shift in how we we do things and and there's a lot of stuff where people are working on net zero solutions for things like refrigerants and other things so in terms of resilience and i know that's an area you, you look at what what would you say we could start to do and i don't mean sort of full advice but things businesses and people could start to look at in terms of how we cope if this is going to be the norm 
So absolutely. And, and at the Met Office, actually, this is a big growing part of our work. So uh, not just providing information about the science and impacts, uh, to, but actually working with people to work out what that means for them to inform their decision making. So to just to break down this, this kind of resilience aspect, of course, one is effort to mitigate emissions to reduce the overall impacts of climate change. Yeah. And the other is this adaptation to climate yeah change and just you know there's still quite a way to go on on both really of course there's a lot of work being done to mitigate yeah I'd, I'd rather talk about adaptation we've we've covered mitigation on a lot of podcasts but yeah what, what can we do to adapt because let's be be honest we we all have to adapt from you know I didn't have a great night's sleep last night because it was pretty hot <laughs> for example absolutely yeah so um yeah we so we generally uh think that we're further behind in in, in planning for climate change than mitigation so yeah. the committee for climate change is fairly clear on that um so there's there's basically uh, uh the general consensus is that there is uh a lot to do so if we kind of look at some of the impacts from the summer heat waves that we've seen this year uh, one of course is is transport related disruptions so that's one in that transport sector it's finding ways that we can keep things moving in hot weather and keeping people uh, comfortable as well because we know we see increased hospital admissions so how can we make sure our buildings are both yeah. saving energy for winter uh, but especially in the cost of living crisis you know we all want to save energy uh, and that helps with the mitigation but we also want to make sure that we have uh, adapted houses so uh, whereas uh, you know one of the worries for example with the housing stock is that you know it's all been built around that keeping heat in yeah uh, and it's not necessarily well ventilated or you know I was speaking to a researcher from the Mediterranean at a conference recently who's like why does the UK have all these massive windows you know because we <laughs> want to let all that light in and warm no, it up but, you know, that, yeah it, then then unfortunately when we keep getting really hot summers like this one I'm sure there's a lot of people you know who are very uncomfortable uh, in these sort of houses at the moment and we've got the carpet whereas you know, my, my partner's family, they're from Italy, all the floors, as the same as my family in India, they're stone, aren't they? Because they're used to, so these are, these are all things. So do you think we may have to rethink uh, our housing design? And, and one of the biggest criticisms that the, the committee said is, you know, our insulation is appalling because insulation works both ways. Good insulation keeps heat out as well as keeping heat in doesn't it all of these things yes exactly so it's it's a case of uh you know insulating well for the winter but making sure you've got that ventilation and that ability to cool in the summer as well and that isn't something that uh you know the committee for climate change uh, will say that we've been doing very well in the uk so far um so that's kind of uh one of the the big issues there but then you know the committee for climate change will also say there are huge opportunities there like you said before you know about getting heat pumps into homes instead of the gas boilers so I, I remember 10-15 years ago everyone's converting to gas boilers um, because and that's like oh great we don't need to have a water tank anymore we're mm. saving up space you know and now of course we've got we've got to the point where we you know 
we know that um, gas is is a problem. We can't keep using uh, gas in the ways that we've been doing, and so uh, the you know we want to shift back to that dependence on electric. So so one of the things that the Community for Climate Change says there is that people can can shift need to shift back to to gas boilers. Um, uh, not from gas boilers, sorry, to electric boilers. Yeah. And so it takes time to put all these steps in, which is why, um, you know, the the places like the Committee for Climate Change are saying that these sort of adaptation options are, are so key to implement soon. And, and, and as well as those sort of, you know, things that we can add in quite quickly, there's things like trees are talked about a lot for mitigation, but they're also great for adaptation because they provide shade. So whether that's yeah. shade for, for cows, so I've done some work on, on heat stress recently and, and it, these trees can provide shade for cows, but they can also provide shade in our urban areas, for example, together with like more streams and rivers and cool. So people talk about this green and blue infrastructure. So there are ways that will not only um, make our um, sort of city a bit cooler, but it's actually also a nicer environment. And I think a lot of people respond to that when there are offered options for potential adaptation that they could do, which will yeah. um, give them a, a nicer environment, especially as you know, over COVID, people actually were staying more locally in their of environment yeah. nearer their neighbors. And you know, if we're going forward thinking about actually, do we want to kind of restrict travel uh, a bit ourselves? Some people are choosing not to fly, holiday close to home and stuff. And that's even more incentive for people to kind of make these uh, improvements to their local environment that will not just benefit them climate for climate change, but actually might benefit them economically as well in terms of tourism, things like that as well. So, well, as scientists, you're, you're looking at this more, you said, at, at the Met Office. Is there anything? Is there one thing you could say? Like, look, I know it's always a variety of things, but one one thing we could do right now to cope with what what's happening right now to, to a business person or or just a you know normal consumer, what would you say we should be doing? So, the the key thing I think is is to educate uh, yourself about the ways that climate change shall affect your area, right. and um, we do that a lot helping people from the Met Office, working directly with people. But the Committee for Climate Change now has also produced so many amazing uh, resources there for people in different sectors, showing all these climate risks, that it's really easy for you to find out this information now. It's um, to get, to so get educated and, and then you can see what to do, yeah? Absolutely. And these it's all broken down now by specific sort of areas of business about what are the big risks coming up. You know, that work has all been done now. So um, it's really easy to find that out. Uh, before we go, and it's been fascinating. I've really enjoyed it, Freya. Thank you so much for this, because it's, it's really good to... I love science anyway, so it's always good to get a bit of science on. Um, look, uh, I, I remember really uh, well, a hilarious film. Uh, the, I don't know if you ever saw it, The, the Day After Tomorrow, something it's called, with... Um, um, Dennis Quaid and the earth, the northern hemisphere has a massive ice age. Right, we get into a big, big ice age, and there was a bit in it which was quite funny, but I, it did make me think. It was talking about um, the Gulf Stream, which most people have heard of, which gives us this kind of, you know, where we are actually in terms of our our, our latitude. We should be a lot colder, shouldn't we, as a country? We should be like Canada. Is that right? Have I got that right? So the Gulf Stream keeps us warm. It gives that great weather that people get down in Cornwall and all of that. Um, but there's a lot of people talking about kind of 
the risk of the Gulf Stream sort of going a bit nuts because of, of, of sort of effects of global warming. You talked earlier about the oceans and how vital they are. I just wanted to talk about, you know, we're an island <laughs> surrounded by seas. Um, is there stuff going on that, that concerns you about what's happening in our oceans? This is a really good question and it's definitely come up a lot over the past uh, few years. I have seen Day After Tomorrow, and, uh, <laughs> like a lot of uh, science films. It's, it's not I, I, I bet you, yeah, I bet you <laughs> go, that was not the way we do this science. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the thing is, is that in this, this like very long historical record, uh, you know, when in the very long distant past we know that the world has changed a lot when yes. things have uh, when carbon dioxide emissions temperature changes have have gone very high and low like millions of years ago yeah, when they've been yeah. you know higher than they are now and 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 so this and because there's this evidence in this record you know of these going down in these the rock cores millions of years ago, we'd know that there, there can be these big, big shifts, these big tipping points. And model simulations also suggest that if you're warming the oceans, then you are sort of slowing the amount of water coming up towards us and he heating us. It's carrying less, it's carrying um, that heat uh, up towards us and keeping us quite mild. Um, I mean, that's partly a wind-driven circulation as well, but yeah. that ocean component is quite important. And, and if, if the kind of the ocean conveyor, as, as we talk about it, slows, then that, that could be a, a problem. But um, and as we measure it now, so we've, we've said before about measuring that we've only been able to do it directly for um, sort of decades in some cases in the ocean. And um, we, we know it's now very variable and that makes it quite hard to see if there's a trend, but we think there is a gradual trend decreasing. And what people are worried about is if that might suddenly tip over into a completely different uh, situation. Our model experiments suggest that uh, with the kind of the amount of melt and warming that we're seeing at the moment, that we don't think it's likely that it will tip over into a completely different state. But there is always a risk of that happening. So we're still doing a lot of research into it to kind of keep an eye on it, because if, if that something like that did happen, then it would have quite big effects. Um, and it so would, we um, don't have to worry about an ice age in, in Kidderminster right now, though. No, no. And if if we see a bit of slowing in the AMOC, or, or sorry, the Atlantic Meridional Overton Circulation, which is that conveyor that I was talking about, which we call AMOC sometimes, um, then then what we might see is that there's a slightly less cooling over the uh, less warming over the UK in total because of that that extra cooling that we've got from that slowdown so it's not going to get colder it's just going to get less warmer if okay. that makes sense so oh, um okay so but, we don't we don't need to get snowshoes and dennis quay to, to walk across uh, no i'm afraid not i'm afraid <laughs> we're in for more hot hot and dry and floods and not not snows <laughs> <laughs> well it's good for the ice cream sellers that's for sure that's that's for sure um Freya, thank you so much. Uh, really great to talk to you. And, you know, I think it's really interesting to, to hear where we are scientifically. I'd love to have you back again, maybe in a few months, we can do some more stuff about the winter and what's coming on. But uh, for joining us on the Net Hero podcast, my enormous thanks. Thanks a lot, Freya. 
Great chat there with Freya, and I think this is the real crux of it. We've got to look at what is happening scientifically. Uh, we've had a little bit of rain, so that's good, but I think the weather's going to be good again in the next couple of weeks. So whatever's happening, we now are definitely in a time of water stress. So please make sure you're using water wisely. It's probably something we're all going to have to get used to. Uh, just to finish off this week's episode, a couple of things. Uh, one, we'll be doing plenty more over the next few months on certain themes around kind of the net zero transition. And one of the biggest ones we want to explore in September will be all about EVs and the charging infrastructure around them. Secondly, if you haven't seen it already, then you'll see that there's a promo video out on social media talking about the Big Zero show for 2023. If you came along this year, the show is going to be even bigger next year. We'd really love you to be involved, either as a delegate, sponsor or a speaker. So any of those, come along, show your interest and we'd love to see you at the show. And finally, we've got plenty of really good content talking about what's going on in the Net Zero space, particularly uh, the analysis around where we're going with the political direction. Do make sure you are reading futurenetzero.com. And if you've got any questions, particularly around carbon, then get in touch with Ellis Hall, ellis.hall at futurenetzero.com. He's our head of carbon partnerships. He can explain a lot of things and help you out. And you'll find more information on our 101 section on the site. So thanks very much for listening. I really hope you have a pleasant weekend and uh, try and watch that water a little bit more closely. Take care. You've been listening to the Net Hero podcast with Sumit Bose from Future Net Zero. Visit our platform for all things Net Zero. And if you or your business is doing great things on the path to Net Zero and want to be featured on the podcast, email nethero at futurenetzero.com. Follow us on social media. futurenetzero.com. Better business, better planet.